Welcome to the Global Aftermarket Solutions Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Mike Dimmick. This will be our final conversation of the year, and you are in for a good one. Billy Frank is the Parts Marketing Development Manager. Billy, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having Most me. Thanksgiving, even. Yeah, yeah. And a few pounds heavy. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Uh, you've been in this office for how long now? I'm just north of 110 days. How's the job gone so far? Uh, fast. Uh, as is that time of year where we're trying to kind of make sure we deliver on 2018, but prepare for 2019. So it's, uh, it's a fast pace. Uh, I think we're going to talk a little less about business and a little bit more about how you wound up in this office and just kind of things that you've learned along the way. And when we were talking earlier, you said your life and your advice to others has really been inspired by three little words. What are those words and why they made such a difference? Uh, three, three key words for me is, you know, raise your hand. You know, be open uh, to volunteering for opportunities. Be open to, for volunteering your, your input. And uh, uh, that's a great way to kind of get yourself in a different light and really show some skill sets that you may not have the chance to show in your current role, uh, but also learn. And uh, it, kind of, uh, it kind of redirected my career uh, early on. What happened? So, uh, so Caterpillar is my second company. Uh, I started out my career with Boeing and hired in with Boeing after I'd done a couple of internships with them. And so when I hired in as a full-time engineer, I raised my hand and said, hey, I volunteered to help out with their internship program. And they said, great, come on in. And uh, as luck would have it, uh, uh, I did it for selfish reasons. I did it because fresh out of college, I knew that would get me one or two free meals a week. I knew that would get me one or two parties a week as well. But, uh, but li little did I know that that would end up changing the course of my career largely because Boeing acquired McDonnell Douglas, and shortly after that, they ballooned to an employee headcount of 250,000 employees. And then shortly thereafter, they said, we're gonna reduce headcount by 50,000 employees. And uh, to kind of put it in perspective, Caterpillar at the time was roughly around 70 to 80,000 employees overall. So, uh, so with that reduction, uh, plan reduction, they they were pretty prescriptive because all employees were represented, even engineers. Uh, so it was pretty uh, last in, first out, unless you were classified as a critical need. Uh, and with me volunteering for this opportunity, uh, they, they, they thought enough of me to kind of say, hey, here's an engineer who's doing some recruiting, who's doing some internship program manager. He's the only person on this campus that's doing that. Let's write a different job description for him, classify him as a critical need, and protect him from what we have to do. Uh, and have to do was, was kind of go through that reduction, that plan reduction. So I was protected, I was put into a bubble, uh, largely because I raised my hand. Uh, but I also got a chance to learn very early in my career that uh, you know there's always gonna be cycles, uh, but there, you can, you can work yourself through those uh, in different ways. And for me, that cycle, I was fortunate enough to get protected, fortunate enough to, to watch from a bubble, fortunate enough to see a company shrink, uh, 
where they shrink, how they shrunk, and uh, and all of those things that I got a chance to see shaped uh, at least the path of my career for from then on. You know, within corporations in general, there's also another train of thought, which is don't raise your hand, keep your head down, just don't make waves, and you'll just kind of anonymously, you know, sail through. Um, how do you inspire people to not take that route, or is that just something that depends on the individual? It, it always depends on the individual, but you know, we all wrestle with it from time to time, uh, whether it's uh, professionally or personally. It's, uh, it's the balance of fear of failure and fear from trying. And uh, we, we, we have to have a healthy respect for failing, uh, be afraid to fail, but not let that fear of failure, failure stop you from trying. Uh, so it's a, uh, every individual has a different tolerance level for risk, and you have to find your level that you're comfortable with. But the more risk you take, personally and professionally, uh, particularly if they're calculated, meaning you understand that if I, here's the upside of me doing this and here's the downside of me doing this and consciously being able to say I accept either, uh, particularly the downside, then, uh, then you can move forward uh, with, with kind of both uh, raising your hand and taking that risk. You mentioned you didn't start at Caterpillar. How did you get here? So by accident, uh, I am uh, born and raised in Louisiana, a small town, population 2,500 people. Uh, went to college in Louisiana and never thought I'd leave the state. Uh, and, you know, uh, met a girl uh, in college. Sounds like a song, but uh, country music song, by the way. Uh, but, uh, but I met a girl. She was born and raised in Peoria, Illinois. Her dad uh, worked for Caterpillar. Her mom was a school teacher out here. So I knew uh, very early on that she would, she was, she and I were meant to spend our life together. And the only way that would ha wouldn't happen is if I screwed it up. So, uh, so, but with that being said, I knew two things. I knew I didn't want to be that close to my family and I knew I didn't want to be that close to hers. So out of college, I intentionally avoided Caterpillar and went to work for Boeing. Uh, but then when I decided to leave Boeing, largely because I didn't see a path for me to progress professionally the way I wanted to, uh, there was one company that I thought of first, and it was Caterpillar. So uh, I went from not wanting to be close to family to now we have, fast forward, we have a son. It's like, you know what? Being close to family might not be a bad thing. So uh, put a re resume in with Caterpillar and uh, was fortunate enough to be called in, was fortunate enough to be invited to join the marketing training program, and then uh, been fortunate enough to, uh, to 19 years later, uh, be sitting where I'm sitting. What's been your trajectory at Caterpillar? So it's been, uh, it's been a, uh, a, a, a series of, 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 I don't know the right way to say this, but I'll say ups, ups downs, and overs. And for me, uh, any career, uh, even one that's had success, you're going you're gonna to have some ups, you're going to have some, some downs, and you're going to have some overs. And overs, and from a career standpoint, is a lateral. So I started out uh, 
as a marketing trainee out of the marketing training class. And uh, here's a kid from Louisiana, fresh out of the marketing training class. I thought uh, Caterpillar was punishing me. They said, hey, we want you to go live in Minnesota. And uh, the only thing I knew about Minnesota was it was cold. And uh, so went up there. I spent four winters up there uh, calling on uh, Butler, Ziegler, and Fabco for the on-highway truck engine business. And then, uh, and then uh, started out as a service rep, picked up parts marketing responsibilities, and then transitioned into a sales role, all in the same territory, which was pretty unique. Because typically, uh, you have an assignment and then you relocate to take on a different assignment. But uh, the company, knowing that I had a family, uh, really allowed me to kind of stay in one place for a little while, which was, which was really great. Came back to Caterpillar, called on Navistar for Navistar and Ford as an account manager uh, for their business, and then, uh, then became a supervisor within the group. And then shortly thereafter, we decided to get out of the on-highway truck engine business. And uh, simultaneous with that decision, all of the sales roles that were a part of the on-highway truck engine group were eliminated. So I moved from the on-highway truck engine group over to uh, the marketing side with what is now GCI. At the time, it was large contractor marketing, doing some voice of customer work. Uh, did that for about a year, then came back to the on-highway business and did some service work. I took care of our North American service operations for a few years. Then we launched a vocational truck, and then I uh, moved into a region manager role for the on-highway group, uh, managing the launch of that vocational truck throughout the middle of the United States. Then left that role, went over to our large engine group, did some product support manager role that morphed into a commercial manager role. Did that for a few years, helped to support our C-175 recovery, uh, particularly in the mining market. And then, uh, then we reorganized as a company in 2015, and I was... Uh, uh, asked to move to Denver and take on the district manager role, uh, looking after that newly formed district with uh, Empire, Cashman, Wheeler, Wagner, and Wyoming machinery. Did that for uh, two and a half, almost three years, and, and then uh, was fortunate enough to be asked to take on this role with, uh, with Gas D. So the lion's share of my career has been focused uh, largely on, uh, on our dealer channel, and uh, I get the fortunate, uh, I've had the fortunate opportunity to of, uh, of being with our dealers and customers throughout the, uh, throughout the majority of my career. I want to talk to you about one of your other responsibilities within GASD. Those of you who are managers, supervisory positions, get to, uh, get to head up sub-departments. You're the head of freedom. What, do, what does that mean, and what are the requirements? Yeah, so, so within GASD, we've got uh, some cultural tenants. And uh, one of our cultural tenets is uh, freedom. And so, uh, so each of our department heads have taken, you know, ownership of one of those tenets, uh, or guardianship, I should say. I shouldn't say ownership, guardianship of one of those tenets. And my tenet is freedom. Uh, so I tend to, tend to say, uh, uh, you know, advocate freedom, but freedom within a framework. And the framework is we are free to do a lot of different things. We are free to take risk. We are free to uh, to try new things, uh, but the framework uh, is being in a position to kind of identify, you know, when we do this and if we're successful, it's going to create this type of value for the enterprise, uh, which kind of puts it in a business case format. So framework is, hey, we're free to try new and 
different things. We're free to take risks. If we can, if we can point to that action delivering value for GASD or value for Caterpillar overall. Uh, and, you know, it kind of loops back to our original start, which is, you know, sometimes, you know, taking that step out uh, means overcoming that fear of failure mm -hmm. uh, and, and be willing to try to do something different, be willing to try to charter new grounds, but, uh, but understand that, uh, that in order to do that the right way, you've got to show that that can create value for the enterprise and show that you've done your homework. So how do you counsel people who are on different ends of the spectrum, those who really love the risk and, and like the highs that come with that, maybe to a point uh, that is not in their favor, and also those who run away from risk? So it's, and again, it comes down uh, to the individual. Uh, at the end of the day, we, we have to, we run a business. Caterpillar is a business and every dollar that in, we invest in time, talent, or resources should produce value for the enterprise. So as long as we go about, you know, risk taking and think about it in the context of how can this create value for us as a company or for our customers as a consumer, as long as we can connect and point to value, uh, you know, then we've got a solid base to stand on to say, hey, here's something that, that's worth investing in. If you can't connect it to value creation, if you can't connect it to it creating uh, value that doesn't exist today for us or for our, for our customers, then, you know, that more than likely is going to land in an unacceptable risk category because we're just trying. We're just, we're just taking risk without planning, without doing our due diligence of, of really understanding if, if this thing, whatever this thing is that we want to try, that this risk that we want to take, if we can't even articulate the value that it creates, then it's an unnecessary risk. Can you give an example to them of yourself selling to someone above you uh, something that could have been interpreted as uh, a, a risk that could have hurt you? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, uh, and I won't speak to the individual situation, but I'll speak to me finding about a risk that I took that paid off for me. And I didn't really see it as a risk. I just saw it as me advocating for something that I thought was right. So I was on a business trip with, uh, with one of, uh, with my general manager of the group that I was a part of at that time. And uh, we were on a flight out together and on a flight back together. And when you're, when you're on a flight out and and back, you're spending the whole day with, with each other. Inevitably, you're going to have some, some long extended conversation. And uh, so we, we, we got a chance to really talk about, you know, each other personally, but also talk about some business situations that allowed me to learn some things. And he, he shared something when he said, Billy, he said, there was a time uh, we were in this meeting and I was asking you to do this thing whatever this thing was. And, uh, and now it doesn't matter because we're, we're out of that business. But he said, you told me no. And, uh, 
and I really respected that. Uh, he said, now, I'm not saying that so you could tell me no all the time. I'm saying you told me no, and then you followed it up with here's why, and here's what I'm going to do uh, as an alternative to that, and here's the value that that's going to create. Uh, and he said, when you, when you walked me through that daisy chain, I did not like the fact that you told me no, but I understood that you had a plan and that plan was going to lead to a, a result that, that was going to be good for us. So I stepped back and accepted that no. Uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, when I ask for things or when I challenge folks and I don't get that why and understanding of the plan, you know, it, it causes me to dig in and it causes me to, to poke a little bit, little bit more. And uh, quite frankly, it can be frustrating for, for me is the way he laid it out to, to me. So, you know, that conversation really opened my eyes to, you know, again, it, it loops back to, you know, having a plan and having an understanding of, you know, what are the risk reward and is that thing that you're going to do, is that risk that you're going to take, is that no that you want to say, is that going to create value for the enterprise? And if it does, uh, being in a position to articulate that. We're about done. <clears throat> you left a lot of good food in Louisiana. Do you miss that? I did. Uh, uh, it's aside from uh, family and friends that that are still there. It's the it's the thing I miss most. But uh, but because I miss it so much, I had to teach myself how to cook it. So. <laughs> Uh, I made up for it. Uh, we're coming off Thanksgiving. I made up for it uh, the the last you know three four days and uh, uh, and had some Louisiana cuisine on the menu that I cook. Great. You can always raise your hand to go back also uh, for for trips. I can, and I'll I'll be close in a, in about uh, two weeks. Billy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks Appreciate for the time. Let me remind listeners, you can find all our podcasts at gasd.cat.com. Click on Employee Hub, page down, and then click on Lessons in Leadership Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our podcast throughout the year. Have a safe holiday season, and we'll talk again next year. Mm-hmm.